The following is a production of the Phoenix Studios Podcast Network here at the University of Wisconsin-Green Bay. For more podcasts, be sure to visit uwgb.edu forward slash podcasts. This is Serious Serious Fun. Hello and welcome to another live-to-tape episode of Serious Fun. If you've been listening for a while or you've caught up in the archives, you remember this summer I was lucky enough to be the invited guest lecturer at the Brown County Library's Wonder Woman Day event. It was a great event, I had a lot of fun, I had a blast, really, and the library apparently thought well enough of me to invite me back for their annual Comic-Con event. So the next two episodes of Serious Fun are gonna be shows that we recorded live there at the event on October 7th, uh, 7th 2017. Now this episode is especially exciting. I've been a fan of Mike Norton for a while now. I loved his work in comics like The All-New Adam as well as his creator-owned series Battle Pug, and I've enjoyed his take on politics with his new Little Donnie strip. Mike's been drawing and writing comics for years and is a frequent visitor to Green Bay and our local comics shop Powers Comics. Sidebar, keep an eye out for an episode featuring them soon. I've even got a few pieces of his art featuring pugs as various DC Comics superheroes adorning the walls of my home. So I was excited when the library invited me to interview him for this event. I got the chance to ask Mike about his work, the evolution of his style, and his affinity for pugs in a really fun interview where I also learned that we also wear the same glasses. So that's neat. Without further ado, here's Mike Norton, live from Comic-Con at the Brown County Public Library on Serious Fun. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome back. Uh, for some of you, this is the second time you've been here. I see a couple familiar faces. Uh, we are live here at the Brown County Library Comic Con. Uh, very excited to be here. I'm very excited to have as a guest on Serious Fun this week, comic creator Mike Norton. Hi, Mike. Hi, everybody. Hey. Uh, they all wave back. That's very nice. <laughs> uh, Mike Norton is the creator of a diverse and really, frankly, intriguing array of comics, uh, touching on everything from superheroes, comedic swords and sorcery, horror noir, political satire. We'll talk about all that stuff. Uh, Mike, thank you for being with us today. No, thank you guys. Yeah, it's really exciting to have you here. So uh, I usually start off when I have somebody on the show, um, I want them, I want to hear your story. So give me the Mike Norton story. What got you started in the industry? Like, what are your influences? Like, what got you here? Um, <laughs> uh, I, I've, Liked comics when I was a kid. I learned how to read from them. My dad used to buy them on his, he was a used car salesman. He drove 30 miles every day and he would stop at a gas station and buy me comic books. And uh, that's how I learned how to read and, and love superheroes. You know, Batman and Incredible Hulk were on TV. Mm-hmm. Wonder Woman. Yep. So I loved all that stuff. And from an early age, I saw Star Wars. I was like four years old when I saw Star Wars. And I decided that that I was going to draw comic books for a living. Uh, I was four years old. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know if, you, if that's crazy or if it's like I, I just never latched on to anything else, but I had a single-minded determination from a very, very early age that all I was going to do was draw for a living. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had a few... You know, uh, side side 
quests, if you will, where I wanted to be like a, a veterinarian or a, or a professional guitar player. Uh, but I wasn't that great at guitar, and I can't do math. <laughs> uh, so I, can, I could still draw. And so when I went off to college, uh, I figured I needed to learn how to make this a living, much to my parents' dismay. Because they were like, they seriously, they didn't say this line, but they were pretty much, oh, you were serious about that. <laughs> um, so I, I, uh, there was no illustration department at the University of Memphis where I went to school. Uh, so I became a graphic designer and I uh, got out of school. And um, the whole time from college on, I would draw uh, comic pages. I would, I would have a friend read a comic book that I had never read before. I would have him write out the plot of the first five pages of that comic and then I would draw it. The reason why I'd have them do it is because if I read it, then I would be tempted to draw what I had seen. Mm -hmm. So I did that several times and I would send them off to comic companies and get all kinds of rejections back, which is very hard on a little 19 year old. Uh, well, not little, I was still six foot five then. <laughs> um, but uh, I would do that over and over again because that's what I had read you know, like a Marvel Age or some obscure comic because there was no internet. Well, it was just starting then. And uh, that's how I got into it because one day, uh, after many, many years of being uh, rejected, uh, not a comic company, but a comic book writer who I had sent stuff to as a fan because I liked him said, hey, your stuff isn't so bad. <laughs> And I was like, oh, thank you. And so I would kept corresponding. I basically had a pen pal who was a professional comic book writer. And then about four years later, he called me. And I don't remember ever giving him my number. But I, he called me and said, hey, I'm bringing this comic back that I used to draw when you were 14 years old. Would you like to draw some of it? And I said, yep. And so uh, that's how I broke into comics. And I've been working ever since. That was... 1997, I believe. What was the comic? It was called The Badger. The Badger. The Badger by Mike Barron. Uh, it was created in the 80s. It was made by a company called First Comics that was made, they, they started here in Madison, Wisconsin. Oh, okay. So they were up here. The Badger, I get it. The Badger, yeah. yes. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and uh, yeah, he brought it back. He, he, he started publishing it at Image Comics. And uh, I drew about four, I drew five issues. One was never published. Oh, okay. Um, so, yep, that's how I got started. Oh, great. So let's talk about some of your earlier work. I know, uh, especially early on, you did a lot of work for different companies like Devil's Do and DC Comics uh -huh. and that sort of thing. So you're working on characters like Voltron, Green Arrow, and Black Canary, yeah. The Atom, which is uh, some uh, work that I'm particularly familiar with was uh, your work on the all-new Atom. Uh -huh. And so you're kind of playing in a sandbox, so to speak. You're, yeah. you're, you're, you're working with characters that belong to the company, that, yeah. that were created by other people. So what's the process of getting that work, and then kind of what challenges do you have as an artist working with these established characters? Well, uh, I mean, like a lot of people, when you're starting out, and when you, I mean, a lot of comic book artists, when you're a kid, you want to draw these characters that you love, right? Mm -hmm. And so, uh, you know, you want to work at Marvel and DC so you can draw 
Batman and Spider-Man and Superman. And so when I would get these assignments, it was just a thrill, you know? It's like now I get to draw all these characters. On the Atom, I got to draw, um, you know, Batman was in there, Wonder Woman was in a couple issues. Uh, I got to draw all kinds of crazy stuff that I never thought that I was going to get to do. Mm-hmm. That's the dream. Right. Um, uh, other than that, I mean, it wasn't, uh, it, it's, it wasn't uh, super fulfilling in a way where it's like, oh, I made this thing up. Mm-hmm. Uh, love my character. I did do that for Marvel. I made up a character called Gravity who they killed off yes as soon as we did it i really liked gravity too i was sad when that happened yeah they killed him they've brought him back since yeah uh but uh yeah it's uh, mostly you somebody sends you a script you draw it uh they tell you what you can and can't do and then you draw it mm-hmm. and uh at that time that's all i wanted to do i had no other intentions to make my own stuff or or uh, work outside of mm-hmm. Marvel or DC. What kind of writers? Like, who did you work with uh, there? I was very lucky. My first uh, first writer I worked with was Mike Barron, who had, you know, it had grown up uh, with uh, the second writer was my second project that I did at Marvel. It was a friend of mine, Sean McKeever. Then I worked with Peter David. After that, mm-hmm. uh, Greg Rucka, mm-hmm. Gail Simone, Kurt Busick. I've been very lucky with the people I've worked with. I got to work with, like, literally a lot of the people that I read when I was, you know, coming Mm -hmm. up, wanting to be a cartoonist, you know, Mm -hmm. so. So, uh, are you still a fan? Do you still read the comics every week? Do you keep up with the stories? I am a fan. Yeah. Uh, I do not read a lot of comics. Right. Mostly because I'm busy Mm -hmm. and... uh, Honestly, this is, sounds terrible. The last thing I want to do at the end of the day is read something. <laughs> uh, but, I mean, I, I, I share a studio with five other guys, and they all still read. I still buy them. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. It's just a, it's taking up space. Uh, I buy a lot of comics, um, but I don't read a whole lot of them. I do read some. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I'll... Uh, I'll get on a plane or something, mm-hmm. and I'm like, oh, yes, now I'm going to catch up. And, and I, I do a pretty good job sometimes. Right. But there's a lot of it. There's a lot of it right. now. <laughs> there's so there's much. There's so much now. I'm the same way with TV, guys. It's not just comics. I, I, there are like, lots of shows that I forget exist, mm-hmm. but people tell me, oh, you need to watch that. And I was like, I will. And then I forget that it exists. And then years later, it's like, oh, yeah. And then I'll start watching it, and everybody's like, yeah, that, we were into that three years ago. Mm-hmm. I'm like that with comics. Right. So uh, let's talk about some of your creator work uh, that okay. you have actually sort of already, uh, created and drawn yourself. Yep. Um, so in 2011, uh, you launched Battle Pug. Battle Pug is this sort of uh, swords and sorcery comic. It's like a Conan the Barbarian kind of thing. Uh, it's a nomadic warrior and his mighty steed, a giant pug. Mm-hmm. Um, so where did the premise for this come from? Because this actually, this lasted for quite a while. You did this for what, about five years? Yep. Yeah, I, I drew it as a webcomic for five years. Um, the embarrassing, embarrassingly shallow story of it is somebody asked me to design a T-shirt <laughs> uh, because they were getting 
comic book artist to draw t-shirts and i was like i don't have anything that i've made up mm -hmm. i don't think dc is going to let me draw superman for your t-shirt and they said we'll make something up and the first thing that popped in my head was a guy riding around on a giant pug mm -hmm. and so i did that and i made a print of it i put it on my table at a convention and everybody asked me when's that coming out and so i had to come up with a story right and uh, it became like this five-year-long epic story. I mean, it's basically everything that I liked as a kid. It's Star Wars and Masters of the Universe and Conan. And obviously, it's Conan. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I hope Robert, Lee, Robert Howard's family doesn't come after me. <laughs> Uh, I, I think you'd be pretty far down the list at this yeah. point. Like, well, in I mean, Conan in, Conan in his books is described as completely different than right, that. Yeah, right. he's not a he's not the Conan that you see in the mm -hmm. movies. So, so in this one, you're doing kind of long form storytelling instead of doing uh, like uh, you know a, a book or a, a sort of a collected thing, which you did. You published them as collected works later under Dark Horse, but yeah. you're doing like every uh, couple days. It's another page of the story. So yeah. How does like how far in advance were you working on the comic, and did you know where the plot was headed as you were working, or did you just yeah? Like I had done a what they call a twenty four hour comic. I don't know if you're uh, familiar with that, but mm -hmm. um, sometimes crazy people will pick. Uh, there's a day. It's called twenty four hour comic day. I don't know who's. I think Scott McCloud. Yeah, I think I think uh, so. He has a book you should all read. It's probably here. It's called Understanding Comics. Uh, but he established a 24-hour comic day, and in that day, within 24 hours, you are supposed to write and draw and complete a 24-page comic book. Mm -hmm. And I did that once. Uh, well, I did it three years in a row, actually. I did it once the first year and because uh, I had never done anything before, and so I wanted to see if I could do it. And I think it was just being delirious from the 24 hours. At the end of the day, I go, huh, I kind of like this. I can see why everybody wants to do this. Mm -hmm. um, and that's kind of what gave me the gumption to make Battle Pug, is mm -hmm. that I was like, oh, I can do that. Mm -hmm. I just don't need, I just think about it like it's a 24-hour comic, just not worry about it. Mm -hmm. And so I had this idea. I had the beginning of it. And I kind of knew how I wanted it to end. Mm -hmm. So I just filled up five years with meandering in between. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, somebody had told me once that you should have a, a, a starting and an ending if you're writing a story. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, I got those. But I had nothing <laughs> in between. They don't, they don't tell you about the rest of it. Yeah, so I wandered in the desert, sometimes literally in the comic, mm -hmm. uh, for five years. So you, this was a very successful comic for you. You won an Eisner and, an, and a Harvey Award. And for those of you who aren't necessarily familiar, these are some of the highest honors you can get in comics for this work. Um, was, did, the, did the reception surprise you, or was this just kind of like, yeah, I knew I had something special here? Uh, yeah, it did surprise me. Yeah. Um, I, especially because I sort of did it not as a joke, but as something that I purposefully tried to not think about too hard mm -hmm. otherwise i think a lot of a lot of a lot of what keeps people from doing something creative mm -hmm. is the fear that you know we'll just fear in general that people are not going to like this am i not good enough to do this sort of thing and so i just purposefully tried to not worry about whether or not it was good 
So when, I mean, when we won the Eisner, that's what I, I, I when I accepted the award, I said, this is only going to encourage me to do this more now <laughs> because I, I, I really had only thought of it like that. And mm -hmm. uh, so now working on it now, I'm actually writing and drawing more Battle Pug. I'm going to bring it back. And it sort of has been a little bit of pressure now because mm -hmm. I was like, oh, now people might expect something yeah. from this. So I, I think it's kind of messed me up in a way. Right. It's, it was a lot easier when nobody was paying attention. Yeah. yeah. Actually, yeah. Yeah. People do a lot of crazy stuff when they don't think people are looking. Right. So I think that's good sometimes. Mm -hmm. you know? It takes uh, a much more confident or talented person than I to do stuff in front of people without a net. What was your takeaway from doing this as a webcomic? Did you, did you carry anything that you learned from this forward into your other work? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it really fed into my um, not, I don't have much patience for stuff. Right. And creating stuff for the internet is perfect for people like me because as soon as I'm done, I can put it up there and 40,000 people can look at it. Mm -hmm. Well, that, I mean, that's how many I think we had looking at it per week. So uh, I didn't have to worry about soliciting it three months in advance mm -hmm. or putting in a catalog, not seeing a book until like six months later or something like that. And then finding out, oh, look, I made that mistake. Mm -hmm. Nobody told me about that. Um, so it, it allows for kind of like a more reactive kind of thing. It is immediate gratification. Yeah. Okay. And so that, there's, a, there's kind of almost like a flexibility and freedom in that. Yes. Um, I recently started drawing on the computer as well. And the thing about the computer, both online and, and, and working at home, is there's a freedom that happens that I, ex I expected it to be the opposite. Right. I expected it to be much more calculated and, and, and thought-consuming uh, and a lot of work on the front end. And it's become the opposite of that. Because I don't worry about that anymore, mm -hmm. I just do whatever. And I put it up, and it's gone, and I don't think about it ever again. Nice. Uh, when, I, I'm, when, when I draw print comics, when I draw comics for people like DC or Marvel, once I've drawn it and I give it to them, I don't look at it when it comes out in the mm -hmm. store because I'm kind of over it. Right. I, I don't want to do it anymore. Yeah. I looked at this enough. Please yes. take it away from me. And in fact, I'm only going to see mistakes. Right. So I don't want any of that. Yeah. So I want to be happy when I just send it off. And yep. Uh, so I got to ask you, with Battle Pug, um, pugs are sort of a recurring theme in your work. And um, You think? Yeah. So, so tell us about that. What, what about, like, uh, what's your connection with pugs? Like, why, uh, what, why do they find your way? I'm, to I'm half work? pug. You're half pug. I, I okay. Was, uh, no, I, I can kind of see it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, <laughs> see the resemblance? The bulgy eyes. Right. <laughs> it's my, my trouble breathing. Um... I just, I, I'm a big animal fan. I mentioned that I wanted to be a veterinarian a long time ago, but uh, dogs in general and, mm -hmm. and uh, pugs in particular, just because they are such a ridiculous mm -hmm. animal, they shouldn't exist. They, they <laughs> honestly shouldn't exist. Right. They, it's because of a bored housewife in England that they exist at all. Mm -hmm. um, they, they, they're just... Uh, their only natural defense is being cute. Right. <laughs> and the idea of that being a 
you know, putting them in anything just makes me laugh. And, right. And they're almost like a perfect animal for cartooning. Yeah, they are because I mean they don't look real. Yeah. Um, so I mean I I just like I like drawing them and if you if you like drawing I mean a lot of artists will find excuses to put you know some people like drawing cars some mm-hmm. people like drawing women in skimpy outfits I like drawing stupid dogs you know <laughs> so. Um, well, they're all very good boys and good girls. Yes, they're, yes thank they you. Yeah. Yes, they're very. So I just, I just try and fit them in, and if I can make a living off of it, then that's the dream. So. Yeah, just like that—that's the dream. Is just eventually Mike Norton, pug cartoonist. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I would get. I mean, yeah, sure. You don't want to be a one-trick pony, right? But if it's a pony you like, yeah. you know, you won't it's care a, that it's much. A, it's a pretty good trick. Yeah, it's like, eh, I'm not gonna complain. Yeah. So let's uh, go to something very thematically different and talk about Revival. I see some folks okay. actually have some copies of Revival out there. Um, so this I is appreciate a, it if you do. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and if you, if you don't have them, you can get some downstairs, I'm sure. Um, oh, right, yeah. In 2012, you and writer Tim Seeley, who also worked on Hackslash and some other stuff, launched Revival. This is, a, I guess, a horror noir, I guess is a good way to describe it. He calls it a rural noir, a which rural is noir. really hard to say. It is incredibly difficult to say. Yeah. We will stick with horror noir, if that's yeah. okay. I Well, I think it's more of a horror story. Yeah. Um, he, I think it's a horror supernatural story, and he thinks it's a crime story. I, it's, a, it's a bit of both. It is a bit of both. Yeah. But that's the interesting way that we both look sure. at it. Sure. So this is set actually about 90 minutes west of here in Wausau. That's where okay. he's from. Yeah. And uh, so the dead start coming back to life. And uh, this is a pretty big change from some of the work you've done previously, which is like a lot of uh, was like superheroes and pugs and that kind of stuff. Uh-huh. So tell me what the process of working on this is like, because I, I feel like the, the style even changes a bit to adapt to that. Yeah. Um, that's the reason we did it. Right. Um, he... Uh, Tim had been known for writing some horror stuff before, but it always been comedy. Mm-hmm. And I had never done. Ho- I did one horror thing a long time ago called Closer. Nobody's ever read it. Uh, if you can find it from Oni Press, I uh, made it in like 2000. Um, but this was the. F- I wanted to do something different, and uh, I had drawn slice of life comics just like regular people doing regular stuff and I enjoy it. I draw I enjoy making characters on a page act because mm-hmm. it's kind of a difficult thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um and he had this idea for a horror comic about zombies that weren't zombies and you know zombies were starting to get big. Mm-hmm. Um so we decided to do this. He uh we talked about it for several weeks, usually over lunch. And uh, eventually, he gave me a script, and I, I, I looked at it, and I made some notes, and we went back and forth, and he finally turned it, and I was like, this, this is, yeah, this mm-hmm. is going to be something. Yeah. So, um, I, I've, I will be honest with you, I've only read the first volume. I'm mm-hmm. working on reading some more. That's but fine. But I was, I was definitely struck by, the, like, the, the feel of it uh, is just, like, there is almost this sort of, like, claustrophobia like you said yep. that like Fargo and like Walking Dead and some other things were inspirations or like influences on this yeah we wanted it that, yeah and that when I said it uh, this is going to be big that's the first time that I got a feeling from a book mm-hmm. and that people got exactly what we were going for yeah 
when we did it. Because I, I was very excited about that. Right, you're just sort of not at ease at all reading this book. Yes, that's I, that's like, why the art looks the way right. it does. I wanted it to make it look ex as normal as possible, mm -hmm. so that when weird stuff like that happens, you're like, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so it's it's not drawn in like a typical horror style. The the problem with like horror comics, I always think, is they're drawn like so stark shadows and stuff mm -hmm. that you're always waiting for something scary to happen because it looks scary. Right. But if it's drawn like a normal comic book, mm -hmm. when something horrible happens, you're like, whoa, that's not cool. Yeah. And that's what you're supposed to think when you see a horror comic. So When you mentioned that, I was reading it. I'm like, yeah, most of the scenes are actually taking place in the daytime, yep. like against bright white snow. Almost and nothing happens. I'm not going to say nothing because there are a couple of like scenes set in a basement somewhere. Right. Yeah, almost nothing happens mm -hmm. in a dark, dark room. And, and almost that kind of makes it scarier as a result because yeah. you, you, you see this like full on like this is happening. Yeah, that makes my yeah. It also helps me use my inability to not be able to draw very dark shadows yeah. very well. I'm horrible at that. I'm not like uh, Bernie Wrightson or Kelly uh, Williams or anything like that. I'm terrible at that. So you, uh, so Tim Seeley, um, actually, you know, you're from Illinois originally, right? I'm from uh, Memphis, Tennessee. Memphis, Tennessee. That's right. Yeah. Okay, and then you kind, of, then you moved up to Illinois and Chicago. Yeah, I moved to Chicago um, to work for Devil's Due. And and so Seeley is from Wausau. So He's how from much um, did you take any trips out there? Or were you just kind of relying on? Yeah. Him? Okay. I've I've been to Wisconsin a, a lot for somebody from Tennessee. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> My my brother's best friend in grade school was from Sheboygan, so we'd come up here. Uh, I I dated a girl in high school who was from uh, her family was from Baraboo. Mm -hmm. uh, I've been to Wisconsin a lot, right? And uh, I've been I've been to actually Wausau before I met Tim. So mm -hmm. I I don't know why my orbit always seems to be around here for some reason, but uh, yeah, I was familiar when and ready to go because mm -hmm. there's not really that much difference from where i'm from i'm from a I'm not i say i'm from memphis i'm from a small town called jackson in tennessee right not that much difference from wausau especially mm -hmm. when we were growing up except you guys get snow up here right uh and so uh how much did you draw on that setting the especially the rural kind of almost I, I, maybe isolate is not the right word but this is not like you're not you're not near a major city it's very rural how much did you draw on that for the stories you were telling and like how oh much it's it's completely in my i mean mm -hmm. that's where i'm getting it from yeah um it's just a a childhood of you know you <laughs> people like don't know what that's like now mm -hmm. but you know, on a Saturday morning, you can leave the house at nine o'clock and not and just not come home until it's dark yeah. outside, and your parents aren't looking for you, right. and the cops aren't called, and you don't even know where you are. Sometimes mm -hmm. you just like I'm in a ditch somewhere yeah. five miles from my house. I'm not entirely sure how I got here. Yeah, playing with action figures, yeah. and uh, and you know, you're just out in the middle of nowhere, and then you know, every town has like a weird. Uh, creepy story about somebody that lives in that house mm -hmm. over here and but you can never I mean there's never any proof that people like there was a guy up the street up the street from my house that uh, kids swore up and down oh this guy will shoot you if you walk up in his yard mm -hmm. I, never never happened no but we all thought it happened 
And we were all afraid of this house at the end of the street where he's apparently had like 75 people he shot in his front yard. <laughs> but that kind of stuff. And, and, right. and a lot of that's actually in Revival. Mm-hmm. A lot of stories like the Zorse at the beginning of mm-hmm. issue one and, and like background stories of characters and stuff actually happened. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's stuff from uh, Tim's childhood that he's just putting in a comic mm-hmm. form. And yeah, I grew up with that kind of and stuff. And even some of the culture, like I know the Mong play a part in the story as well. Yeah. Yep. Um, and so like that, I, I was kind of like reading, I'm like, you guys did your homework and like you definitely see well, that, like you, there's accuracy, like was a really big part of this. There's a little research just to make sure that you know what you're talking about. Right. But a lot of that's like what he grew up with. Right. I mean, that was there. Mm-hmm. Uh, all of the, uh, not all of them, but most of the titles of the volumes are named after old uh, state of Wisconsin uh, uh uh, uh, travel slogans mm-hmm. that they had. The first one's "You're Among Friends." Yeah, um, which, it, like, it's so now that makes sense because I'm like, "You're Among Friends." Like, it does not seem like you're among friends in this book. Yeah, like, like there's a lot. Well, of there's stuff a little in, bit yeah. of irony in a yeah. lot of it. I but, mean, the last one's called "Stay Just a Little Bit Longer." Right. <laughs> um, so that that's so that's really interesting. And again, like, um, uh, the other big thing that came out about Revival recently is that uh, it is going to be made into a film. Uh, right. So I know this is something that you've talked about a little bit before. Are you super involved with this, or like what do you what are you hoping to yes see out of no. it? Yes and no. I'm I'm as involved as I want to be. Right. Uh, there's the people making it are a small production company actually in downstate um, Illinois, mm-hmm. who have done some things with Roger Ebert's family, and they they make documentaries and prof- and commercial video. And so it's they, very much like an independent style movie. Completely independent. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're in the, the fundraising stage of it. They're talking to producers. They've actually got some money now. They've hired a uh, casting director, and mm-hmm. they're looking at. They've actually made an offer to some actors. Nice. Um, I just got this uh, revised script in my email this morning. Um, it's moving along, mm-hmm. um, and we're as involved as we like. I said we want to be. Mm-hmm. Like they send us stuff mm-hmm. and they're always coming up to the studio and talking to us but if i don't want to be part of this meeting or so which i tend to be a little more standoffish than like say tim is yeah. tim's much more involved right um then i it it's like that we're we are uh very involved we're producers technically so. mm-hmm. Okay, very cool. So that's something to look forward to. But yeah, this is a very. I'm, I'm really interested in reading more of this. Uh, it's it's a really unique kind of. Take. Well, I hope you uh, like it. I hope yeah. you cry by the end. I, of okay, it. I will try. I, w- I will let you know. I'll tweet. Well, I'll know. tweet at you. Yeah, let me know. Okay. Um, so I want to talk about another project that you're working on. This one's actually upcoming, and so you're kind of returning back to. Let me go back one slide. There we go. Uh, so you're actually going kind of back to the DC Comics fold for a bit with uh-huh. a series called Mystic U. Uh, this is set in a sort of magic college where the wizards, the sorcerers, and the mages of the DC universe come together and learn how to use their powers. So you've got Zatanna, you've got um, uh, you've got Sargon the Sorcerer, and all yeah. these other characters who are like these sort of like really kind of deep cuts in, in, in DC lore. Yeah, most of, most of this book is deep cuts because a lot of the magical characters in, mm-hmm. in DC are deep cuts. Yeah. I mean, if it's not Zatanna or John Constantine, yeah. then it's... Nobody knows who they are. Yeah, I was kind of wait. I was kind of waiting for him to show up somewhere in here. But. Uh, no comment. Okay. <laughs> Which is code for go buy the book. And yeah, stop yeah. They, the the book is interesting. It's a different take on these characters. Uh, it's 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 Zatanna 
and meets Harry Potter essentially because okay. it's her as a young person going to magic school, right? And they found a way to make this work within regular continuity. It's not like oh. an Elseworlds thing. So this is like almost a prequel of sorts, maybe, or sort of, sort of. Okay, it can be. Okay, it'll make more sense when I yes, read it. Yes, it saying. will make okay. sense. So, Everything. The writer Alyssa Quitney, she. She used to be an editor at Vertigo, mm-hmm. so she knows what she's doing. She worked on Sandman. Right. Uh, so a lot of those kind of characters are showing up. Mm-hmm. Uh, just basically it's a who's who of obscure DC characters. And I love that. Yeah. Like, um, I, I'm really excited because I love, like, the deep-cut D-list characters. Yeah. There's a, I mean, Dr. Occult is a yeah. teacher there. Like, uh, Mr. E. Does anybody remember Mr. E.? I didn't. No, you did. Oh, yeah. hey, we got we got a mystery. Mystery. Cain yeah. and Abel work at the college. See, I love the fact that I need to look up who these people yeah. are. Like, I have a pretty good knowledge of comics, but if and if I need both, to like wiki both, them, both that's the House great. of Mystery and the House of Secrets are on campus. That's fantastic. So, yeah, um, but I want to talk about the character designs. These are very very striking, and um, like you know, if you look, if you think about a lot of the the character designs for the magic characters in DC especially, they're very kind of flashy and extravagant right. and sort of over the top. Zatanna's usually got her uh, top hat and right. fishnet stockings and all that. Um, this, they kind of look like regular college students. Well, that was, yeah, that was the point. Yeah. We wanted it to make it look like they were regular kids. Right. But yeah, the hard part was trying to get across their personality and still, like how do I make Zatanna still look like Zatanna right. and not just zoe deschanel on right. the new girl set right. or something like that you know so i like i, I could pick satana out yeah, of the lineup right. i know who that is like that yeah. it definitely translates well yeah so there's in sargon's easy because of the turban but mm-hmm. uh we we had to assign personalities like, right uh, so i mean i guess you probably can guess who the who the bad boy is just right. from looking at this right and that's and that's because that's Felix Faust's son. Right. So it's like he's already coming from a place where it's like I had to like design these guys so that uh, uh, they they looked more like at home in a normal college mm-hmm. setting um, rather than running around in robes and costumes. So how did you go about doing that? Was this something where you're like you're looking at like uh, fashions or like yeah okay like a lot of research? Well, I mean, I I don't consider myself a very st- like I'm not have my thumb aside from watching Project Runway all the time. Mm-hmm. I do not know fashion, right? But I do know that people don't wear just you know different colored boxes, right? Their, like when you're drawing a comic, they they need to look like that world is lived in, right? And I worked on a comic a long time ago called Runaways. They're making a TV show out of it. Yep. Um, but the original artist on that, Adrian Alfona, is a Canadian guy was brilliant at coming up with like like fashion they looked like teenagers yes exactly and he i looked a lot at what he did and how he did it and what he does is he just he like looks at the internet and tv and he just pays attention to what that stuff is and then he amps it up a little bit Mm -hmm. and so i tried to do that a little bit i don't think i'm still the strongest at it but i'm just trying to think a little more along the lines of would a real 
person wear this yeah you know kind of thing well i mean i'll tell you right now like i'm looking at this and i'm a sort of getting fashion tips for when i lecture but b <laughs> also like these are really great cosplay ideas and i feel like that's kind of one of the interesting side effects of a lot of this it's, uh wasn't it until you just said that that i feel like i should have thought about that more yeah <laughs> but that's a great idea yeah. because the cos cosplay i was just telling uh uh i forget what she's not here but i was just telling uh, somebody, when I got here, there's like uh, 10 years ago at these shows, people used to be so self-conscious and, and weird about dressing up, mm -hmm. and now everybody does it, and it's such yeah. a cool thing. We got some really elaborate ones here today, it's too. It's such a cool thing, and and, uh, and these days, I see it all the time. A lot of friends, I, I, I know Jason Latour and Robbie Rodriguez who created Spider-Gwen. I know Robbie. Uh, Name the idea of just designing that, and then... As soon as somebody says that, they're thinking, oh, how am I going to make that costume? Mm -hmm. You know, they haven't even read the comic. They just look at a cover and like, that looks so cool. Right. That is so neat that that happens now. Yeah. And like sometimes like it just becomes almost this thing onto itself. It's really very cool. Yeah. So now I'm thinking maybe I should have put more thought into that part of it. But I love it because it's like it, you, could, you could pull this together and you could. You we could already see a lot of Zatanna's yeah. at comic yeah. shows already. But, now but you that's can, because she just has essentially a magician's assistant. Right. Outfit. But you know, you go, you wear this. Yeah, you go hopefully to the con. they'll have. Yeah, yeah. you if go out to dinner after. If someone dresses like Rose Psychic, then I'll know that I've made it. Yeah, because it's just like, oh, it just looks like a weird lady from the twenties. Yeah, keep an eye on Tumblr. We'll yeah, see, we'll see. Um, so what struck me as I was going through your work and kind of doing some of my research for this interview is that you play in a lot of different genres. Um, you know, it's not uncommon for a comics artist to do this, but I feel like you especially, like all of your work is very unique and distinct from each other, right? You do the superhero work, you do action, you do horror, uh, you do political satire with little Donnie. By the way, congratulations on being coming syndicated. That's a very big deal. Thank you. Um, how do you balance these styles and kind of the workloads that go with them? Because I can look at all this stuff and you see like there's there are recurring things, but they're all different and unique for their own sort of genre. Oh, I didn't see them yeah. Um, I get bored easy, <laughs> I guess is the way to put it. I, I, um, not that I can't concentrate on one thing for a long period of time. Cause I can, I just, I hate the idea of only doing one thing one way forever. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's not an idea that I used to have. I used to just thought I would draw Spider-Man like Ross Andrew till I died. But then you look at all these different artists and all these influences and like every day I wake up and I see somebody as like, oh, I want to draw like that today. Mm -hmm. And I kind of went schizophrenic, like weird crazy with that. I was just like, oh, I can't decide. I can't be like that. Nobody's going to know who I am. I don't know who I am. Mm -hmm. um, but after many many years working like that i feel like it's become more of a strength than a weakness that right. i thought it was because now i can i mean not not trying to brag but i can draw anything right like if you want me to say hey mike we got a project can you can you uh do you do you do like dark stuff and i'm like i can yeah you know it's like it's not like i have this thing where i'm like uh yeah, you only get Mike Norton. Right. You get Mike Norton style. Right. It's like, no, I, I, I read a project, and if I feel like this needs to be a certain way, then maybe it'll be fun to draw this this way. Mm -hmm. I still feel like I can 
put myself into it now. I used to not be like that. I used to be a little more, um, John Byrne drew this book before you. Now you draw just like John Byrne. Right. Yes, boss. That yeah. kind of thing. Um, now I'm more thinking for myself. And, and while John Byrne might still be there, right. I'm also doing this and I'm also mm-hmm. doing that. I think that's sort of an attitude I've developed only from doing it as long as I have. Mm-hmm. Um, ten years ago, I don't even think I could have given you that answer. So, so that's a that's a great because uh, the the last big question I wanted to ask you before we open up for some uh, some questions from the audience. Okay, say hypothetically the comics genie shows up. There's a comics genie. Hey, comics! Why does he look like Shaquille O'Neal? <laughs> <laughs> um. Ed says, Mike Norton, you, sir, can write and or draw any comic you want, any genre, any style, any character, any company, if you want to work on something that's established. What's your short list? I won't make you pick one, but what are some things like your bucket list? uh, Established or create your own, work in any genre, anything you want. Says you can work on any project, we'll publish it, we'll pay for it, because I'm the comics genie. I can do that. Okay, short list. Okay, but a short list. I'm not making I'm not making you pick one. That's not fair. But right. like, well, one, what, one like, would be impossible. Like a bucket list, like saying Mike Norton wants to do this. Short list. Uh, I would like to write and draw a a Blue Beetle comic. Mm-hmm. The superhero Blue Beetle. I would like to do that. I would like to draw a creeper story for DC. I have a comic uh, has a pug in it, believe it or not. I have a story about a a con artist type wizard, sort of like John Constantine, Mm -hmm. who through his own chicanery and stupidity gets trapped in the body of a pug. Nice. And so he has to find a way to trick the devil into making him human again. I'll read that. Uh, that one's called Grumble. Grumble, I like it. Uh, I will do that eventually, mm-hmm. but that's at the top of my dream thing. Uh, I have lots of stuff I'd like to do. I'd like mm-hmm. to draw Power Man and Iron Fist. There's just mm-hmm. things that you liked when you were a sure. kid. I'd like to do more Star Wars. Yeah. I know Star Wars is a big influence on it you. It was. I yeah. got to draw a story last year. Uh, but it didn't have any of the established characters in it. Um, was this for Marvel? It was for Marvel. Right. Um, um, but yeah, I mean, other than checking boxes off of like a, a bucket list sort of thing, I'm pretty lucky right now. So mm-hmm. I don't have it. My, my list isn't that long. Right. It's just impossible to say one thing. Sure. And, that, and that's the thing. The comics genie will listen to whatever. Comics genie. He's the comics great. genie. He's I love the, comics we, genie. We love comics genie. Comics genie, you're the best. Yeah. So you can put comics genie on your stories. So. Yep. Comics genie. He, he, can, he can talk to Grumble. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, there would be a genie in there. Yeah. I really will read that comic. I'm oh, looking forward to I, it'll happen. I'm, okay. I'm, I'm actually, see, I'm not afraid to say it because that way I, it's out there now. Right. So if somebody takes that idea, I can just point to this podcast. I will give you the podcast. It's time stamped. Say, You're good to go. Guess what? Guess what? TM, buddy. TM. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Mike, thank you so much for coming and being a part of sure, Serious no Fun here at Brown County, uh, Brown County Library Comic Con. Um, uh, we're gonna open it up to the audience now. If you want, if you guys have some questions for Mike, we've got a we've got a microphone up there. You can kind of walk up to, or you can shout. Either way, um, we should be able to hear you. But uh, what what questions do you want to ask Mike Norton? Mike Norton. Are there questions? Are there questions? We covered a lot. So, yes. Did you uh, have any big influences on your 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, as a kid, I mean, I don't, I don't think if you're a kid and you read the old Conan comics, you can't not use them. I mean, because that's how you see them, mm-hmm. right? Like I mentioned, the description of Conan in the books and is completely different than how John Buscema used to draw them, which he would be my main, like right down to the way I draw the Camundian's face. Mm-hmm. It, I go out of my way to make him look extra ugly mm-hmm. because John Buscema used to draw ugly people. Mm-hmm. And it's not because he couldn't draw, he just made some rough looking people. Because mm-hmm. he's a barbarian. Yeah, he's, you know? he's, he's, he's like, gonna get to a fight so, or two. Yeah, exactly. So he looked mean all the time. And he looked just like somebody that people weren't lining up to kiss. Right. Um, so yeah, he was, you know, Ernie Chan. Um, a lot of those, when, when you get in that magazine, the, like Savage Sword I would see in bookstores in Jackson when I was growing up. And it was always, that and Heavy Metal were the magazines I was afraid to open. Because <laughs> yeah. I'd walk up and it was like, oh, I don't think I'm supposed to, is this like a Playboy? I don't yeah. think I'm supposed to look at this. And, but you'd open it up and you're like, whoa, this isn't just lines, this is like painted and stuff. Mm-hmm. So yeah, a lot of those artists, I can't even remember them, but a lot, like, a lot of the, like, um, uh, Rudy Nebris and uh, all these Filipino artists from back in the day that were doing that stuff. Um, they were, you know, if, you, if you're into Conan, you're into them. I think they kind of go hand to hand. Other questions? Yes. Um, I'm a big, big fan of Manga Studio. I guess it's called Clip Studio now. Um, that's the first thing I started with. And it was the only thing is somebody who is computer literate, but not an expert mm-hmm. can work on and not you just right out of the box, not have to worry about anything. I, did, I didn't adjust any settings or anything. I, I I bought a, a Cintiq and that software and decided, oh, I'm going to draw this Blue Beetle eight-page story with it. Mm-hmm. And I did it. I, um, so it was very intuitive and, you know, uh, I thought uh, uh, easy to use. Uh, Photoshop, you have to do a lot more messing around with. Um, and and you do have to know some expert level stuff to make it do what you want it to do. I'm not saying it's impossible. I know lots of people that use it for drawing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe uh, Dave Marquez, who does the Defenders, and um, Mark Lamming, a friend of mine who does Star Wars stuff, they they both use Photoshop for drawing comics. Is that so? Is that probably pretty common now? Because I know for the longest time it was used like pen and paper, Bristol board, that sort of stuff. But it has, yep. have most artists gone over to digital? At this I point? wouldn't say most of them. Okay, but a lot of them are. Yeah, um, it's easy, um, and and like I mentioned before, it kind of takes away a lot of the hesitation you might have. At least I had when working on pen and paper, because uh, I'm always afraid of the mistakes that I make. Once you make it on paper you have to go back and fix that. Mm-hmm. It's not as easy as it sounds a lot of the time. And so that will make you hesitate to do some things. If you're working on a computer that you know you can press a button and it's gone, you don't worry about that stuff anymore. So you're more inclined to take risks, mm-hmm. you know? You're not worried about, and, and the odd thing is, I loosened up a lot more, like drawing-wise. Uh, I do weirder things now. 
because I'm not worried about it. It's funny because a lot of people think that if you're working or organically on paper that that's when you're going to get messy and do I was the opposite I was terrified that I was going to make something look wrong and so now I don't worry about that so the computer kind of saved that for me other questions everybody knows everything now yeah you, you got you've got all well uh, so I guess we'll, we'll call it good here. Mike, again, thank you so much for being thank on the you. show. Thank you for being here at, uh, at Comic-Con. Thank we you really for appreciate having it. Here. It's been this great talking cool. to you. So thank, thank you. you. Well, there you go. Another live kinda, episode of Serious Fun. Thanks to Mike Norton for graciously sitting down with me, and thanks to the Brown County Public Library for hosting Serious Fun not once, but in the defiance of all that is logical and right, twice. It was an absolute blast, and I hope to be back next year. Next time on Serious Fun, we'll have another fantastic crossover event with Ryan Martin and Chuck Ryback, the hosts of our Phoenix Studios sister show, All the Rage, where we'll talk about superheroes, anger, and the Incredible Hulk. Until next time, I'm Brian Carr reminding you to take some time and go out and have some fun of your own. You just listened to a Phoenix Studio production, the podcast network for the University of Wisconsin Green Bay. For more podcasts, visit uwgb.edu forward slash podcasts.